0: Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week, with the championships starting at Royal Ramwick on the weekend, I was poised to talk to the great Gay Waterhouse, but it's... uh English auction week and someone like Gay Waterhouse is taking her clients out to buy multi-million dollar racehorses which one day she'll train. So Gay's going to be for another week. So we got her son and legendary online bookie Tom Waterhouse to come off the bench to fill in for his mother but to tell his story, an interesting story, of how he became the biggest online bookie in Australia before he was 35 and all the lessons he'd learned from that and why he eventually got out of the bookie game to create an app, which is um, still uses the same name, TomWaterhouse.com, but is once again uh, a very, very interesting business with a sensational competitive edge. And uh, we'll pick up the lessons from Tom in his uh, many years, though short many years, of being an entrepreneur and business builder. So, Without any further ado, let's welcome Tom Waterhouse. Tom Waterhouse, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, very great to be on the show.
0: Mm. So, Tom, do you think yourself a young man now? But you are a father with how many kids?
1: Three kids. Yeah, yeah, so, no, um, so
0: you're not a young man anymore. Three kids can't no. keep you young.
1: <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's funny. It's um, uh, when I was had position, the uh, CEO William Hill, uh, I uh. Yeah, I was the youngest person in the in the company. I felt like I was very young. I'm like going back to those board meetings. I was like, gosh, I, I feel like two generations away from uh, many of the people around the board table. And now, tomwaterhouse.com. I'm actually the oldest person in the office. It's funny <laughs> how that transition it creeps up on you quickly. And uh, yeah. but yeah, it's terrific. I, I think I'm I'm 38 now. I think at 35, it it sort of was that that crossover. Mm. You know, it's um, but cool. it, yeah, it's good. And and also you learn a lot from. The older people that you work with, but you learn just as much from people that are younger than you that you work with. So it's some, um, it's it's been been really a good journey so far.
0: Tom, um, you know, you, you make me think about you know the the greats of <clears throat> business, sport, politics, even the arts, who I've interviewed over the years, over you know, 20, 30 years and. The one thing that stands out to me is that the, the most common characteristic of highly successful people, and this program is called Learning from Legends, is that they, they're really well aware of a thing called competitive advantage. And it doesn't matter what age you're at. Like we, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, he had competitive advantage at a very young age and Jeff Bezos was older than him when he started Amazon, but he understood competitive advantage. And I think um, your family um, – including yourself you've understood competitive advantage as well
1: yeah look i I, um it's funny being a ceo of a a a large-ish company i i thought oh gosh maybe this is my life being a ceo and i thought well if there's let's say i don't know how many ceos in australia but let's just call pick a number five thousand even if i'm in the top uh half or ten percent there's still 500 or 2500 ceos that are better than me and i thought well what is my competitive advantage and and uh, when I left William hill and I thought well I've been lucky that I've been brought up in a racing family and and with all of that heritage that brand that knowledge that know-how and and uh, I was so lucky to come from that background and and have my parents and my grandparents of have, have giving me that knowledge and the space i have to have to utilize it and, and and really take make the best of it and um and that was sort of one of the reasons um, of starting up tomwaterhouse.com again I thought well I, Been so lucky I've got this brand that has this awareness. And in this industry that I have this knowledge in, I've got to I've got to stick to it and 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 really focus and and yeah, you've got to have a competitive advantage. And and also I think Jeff Bezos made a really good point, is it's nice to be in industries that there's plenty of industries that might be growing at 10, 15%, but try and pick the industry or the part of your industry or knowledge that you have that's growing at an exceptional growth rate. And that's um, one thing I've sort of kept in the back of my mind, I want to keep focused on the horse racing, gambling industry, but try and find pockets of it that are growing at uh, an exceptional growth rate, not just at a, a steady pace.
0: Okay. Well, and we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, you're the one who brought it up. And I, I actually wrote down a couple of questions, which invariably I send to people. And I never ask them, but I didn't send you any questions because you didn't ask for any questions. And probably because over the years, you know, I would never asked those questions anyway. But Well, I wanted to ask you about, did you always want to be a a bookie or – well, your father was a bookmaker, your grandfather was a bookmaker, your other grandfather was one of the greatest horse trainers of all time. Did you always want to be a bookmaker or did you ever think about being a trainer like your mum?
1: Look, I grew up as a kid and my sister and I used to joke around about how boring our parents were talking about horses all the time (laughs) and didn't like horse racing at all. Um, And I I worked from the age of 12 – till when I finished school every Sunday at the stables for a couple of hours and at least a week every holidays. And, and I just thought it was the worst thing in the world. I'm like, who in their right mind wants to get up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning and muck out boxes and lead horses around. And I thought this is really tough, uh, hard yakka. And I'm like, this isn't for me. And um, I was doing commerce, majoring in finance and marketing at uni and, and thought I'd go into the finance world. I did work experience at um, Merrill Lynch and did remember going down the futures exchange for when I was still at school. And I thought that was the area. And then six months into my first year at uni, I, I worked one day for my dad, uh, at the races and just the how fast paced it was and and the money changing hands and the excitement. And I just, I fell in love with it. And then from that moment on, uh, I worked at the races, whenever I wasn't at uni. And then when I finished uni, um, I just sp- spent every minute I could just absorbing, uh, knowledge off my grandfather and my dad and, and my life I knew was in that in that space. Mm.
0: So um, was there ever a time when you thought that this is a really tough game and I know, you know my parents have been able to, or my grandparents and my parents ha- have been able to do it, but this is not an easy po- way to make money?
1: Yeah, look, in in 2008, I thought I'm the king of the world. I I thought this, what an amazing space I'm in. I was uh, holding more money as an on-course bookie than all the other bookies in Melbourne combined. I was in the middle of the ring at uh, Flemington on the rails, Derby Day. I think I held $6 million in on Derby Day in um, 2008. And you only have a few staff and turning over probably $300 million a year as as an on-course bookie. And I thought, gosh how good is life i've i'm following my dad and my grandfather and great grandfather's footsteps and and it's like you're playing a high game or higher stakes poker every 20 minutes or 15 minutes um and uh it was just awesome and and then um they changed the advertising restrictions 3g came in the iphone came out and the money on course completely dried up and uh i thought well this is all i know uh, this is this is the end you know at 26 i'm like the the games up and uh, moved into being a telephone only bookie um, in an office. And I remember the first couple of days, the phones didn't even ring. Uh, and then that turned to be a really good trading business um, because there were all these bookies coming from the UK, and there were arbitrage or, or betting opportunities um, using the exchange and betting with those bookies. And that was a very good business. But then they all realised they didn't want to handle tough money, and so that business turned into being no good and. Then we started online, tomwaterhouse.com, and, and that was hard yakka at the beginning, and then it exploded to being from 100 customers to a quarter of a million customers in 18 months and thought, gosh, I'm going to be bigger than Tabcorp. And then all of these online operators came to Australia and, and the marketing expenses grew and the technology costs grew and and that became a tough business. We had to pivot and, and sell to William Hill. So I guess there's been times where I've thought that uh, it's a, how good is this? It's a printing press. And then... Mm-hmm the environment changes it's not just what you do as you know in in business it's it's the environment around you um that changes and that's uh, that's something that you've always got to be across and looking forward and um and yeah lucky uh, sort of lessons from my dad and my grandfather of keeping lean and being able to pivot when you need to and and that's that's the exciting bit of the journey if you're just doing the same thing for 50 years it Probably be boring, but pivoting into new businesses and new areas and new opportunities is uh, is really exciting.
0: Tom, there was a time there when you were really on a massive roll, um, and you know you you did have competition coming in, um, um, and you're doing a lot of television advertising. You're on the footy show, and then there was like a community backlash to having too much um, advertising. You know on television, and did that take the wind out of your sales um, temporarily? Or was that a, a, another reason why you might have sold to William Hill that you know the community was making it harder for you to to really build this business?
1: Look, um, I think what we got we realized very early on in the journey of tomwaterhouse.com that. We had a big asset in the brand, so the brand had high awareness and we branded it as an individual, which was different to all our competitors that basically had similar URLs, Sportsbet, TAB Sportsbet, sportsbetting.com. They were all quite similar sounding. Um, and we realised that live sport on TV was worked very well in terms of acquiring customers and it had limited supply. There's only a certain amount of NRL games, AFL games, tennis and so on. And so we basically saw that these overseas operators would come uh, and we brought up as much sport as we could. Um, I guess the, the uh, we knew the NRL was a, a major asset. What, what we didn't have is the firepower to go to beat Tab out of that deal. We did a $60 million deal with Channel 9 over five years, uh, all mostly back-ended. And uh, what worked really well was we acquired customers at a really low value um but the value of those customers was very different to a horse racing customer and so for us to keep our foot da- down uh, like for instance william hill um we were spending uh, 90 million dollars on marketing with uh marketing and bonusing costs mm-hmm. etc and and for us to keep up and keep that scale of these overseas operators which were huge like william hill was a FTSE 100 company we needed to partner and uh really because the technology costs changed and the marketing expenses and the, the environment changed and and that really led to why we uh, were looking to to sell a business and and why we sold to William Hill and I guess the uh, what was amazing about our growth and the reason why we were able to grow so quickly is because we differentiated through being an individual what was the negative of that is that unlike a a faceless or a, a branded just a company it's much easier to direct uh, criticism or uh, anger towards an individual than it is uh, than it is a company, and and that's that's the, the 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 downside of of doing that. But if I had my time again, uh, I'd have to go down the path we went of being an individual, and and obviously I've I've done that again, putting my face out there and name out there with TomWaterhouse.com as a as an odds aggregator and a tipping business because that's our big advantage you know and and in modern marketing um, uh, on social channels everyone follows individuals they don't follow companies yeah. you know so i think out of the top 50 most followed um, uh, people on or things on twitter it's 49 out of the 50 or uh, uh, well, this is back in when we we're doing tomwaterhouse.com the first time 49 out of the 50 were were individuals not brands and and that was our biggest advantage and if you're happy to take it, take advantage of that of your brand and your name, well, you've got to be able to cop um, the criticism, you know, and that's that's part and parcel of it. So yeah, I,
0: but personally, I, did you find it hard? Because, you know, until then, you were always perceived as the boy wonder and you, you, the, the kind of publicity you got always seemed to be pretty positive, but that was fairly negative. As an individual, did you find it hard to, to deal with it?
1: Uh, look, to me, I, I didn't as an individual. What I found hard is if uh, – if anyone in my family or my wife feels, Oh, this is, uh, this is unfair. To me, it's it's business, isn't it? It, it, It's part and parcel of if you you don't get too, um, caught up if you get an article that says you're the most amazing thing in the world, because you're not, well, I'm not the most amazing thing in the world and you don't get too caught up if, um, they say you're the worst thing in the world, because I'm not the worst thing in the world. So everyone's a mixture, aren't they? And, and, um, you yeah i i don't get caught up at all mm. um but but what i would do what i would say is if the business wasn't going well and i made strategically the wrong decision to be front and center of a business and the business wasn't getting traction i'd be very down about that mm. because it's a business decision it's not um yeah uh, you know, if if i didn't think there was an advantage with with doing it i uh, there's a uh, it's very nice to be not be anonymous, isn't it? Not yeah. known. You know.
0: So, when William Hill um, bought TomWaterhouse dot did they keep that going, or did they just want to roll your your database and your customers into William Hill?
1: So they kept it going, and and six months into, um, uh, I was in an ur- on an earnout with William Hill, and six months into the the earnout, um, they uh, six months into the earnout, they said, look, uh, Tom. Um, we'd like to finish this earn-out period. We want to focus on the, the business overall and not have this uh, earn-out part of the business going on. And we'd love you to run. They bought SportingBet, Centibet, and TomWaterhouse.com. We'd love you to run these combined businesses, William Hill Australia. And, and um, family actually said, why would you, why would you do that? And I, for me, I thought, well, it's an experience. I've never been a corporate CEO I uh, hadn't run a business that size before and I thought it'd be a really good experience and, and so I did that for for four years and part of the decision of that was William Hill wanted to be a global brand at the time and there was going to be a tr- transition to William Hill as the, as the brand at some stage. That was the, the thinking that when they bought the businesses, that's what they wanted to get to and how long that transition took was up up for discussion and our view or or my view is that if you're actually wanting to transition to that you want to rip the bandaid aid off and not build up other brands in the market and spend the money on them when ultimately you want to get to one brand and and so we transitioned away from tomwaterhouse.com and the other brands uh relatively quickly after uh, I came on as CEO of the of the business here in australia
0: mm. but but did William Hill succeed in becoming a well-known player in Australia, because sports bets still exists, doesn't it? Uh,
1: look, I, sports bet and William Hill at the or Sporting Bet, Centrebet, and Tom Waterhouse at the time of acquisition was they were quite similar in size, and the sports bets journey and their success uh, has uh, just absolutely killed everyone else in the market. And the biggest mistakes are uh, that. Uh, we made in uh in the journey here in australia is that we bought a business similar in size in uh turnover but the p- customer profile was very different and Sportsbit were very good at acquiring um mass market retail customers and the journey to acquire mass retail mark customers really requires two things it requires uh very heavy marketing spend and to continue to put your foot down on marketing spend and it requires um uh, a lot of spend and focus on technology and improving the customer experience. Mm. William Hill paid a, a sizable amount for um, for a group of businesses out here in Australia. And uh, the the journey, they had to obviously maintain profits because they had some debt in buying those businesses and, and there wasn't the same level of investment by us in marketing and increasing technology spend to keep up with Sportsbet. And Sportsbet took advantage of that period um, of transition of, of the brands and also the fact that we were trying to maintain profit um, to really put their foot down and increase marketing spend. And, and what was interesting is their marketing spend increase and in their turnover, uh, gross win, net revenue, they were able to maintain those sort of four lines at a at a steady pace and, um, and, and really – killed it and did such a great job in the market. So it was um, – one of the analysts said um, you're in an 800-metre race and you're starting 400 metres behind sports bet. Uh, how are you going to do to, to catch them? And and really, I think at the point of entry into the market, we had to decide whether we were going to uh, catch them or it was just going to be – and be a winner uh, in this market or it was just going to be another market that we had – a, a uh, a a foothold in and um, and so yeah, I think Sportsbet clearly showed their execution was superior and and did an amazing job in this market.
0: So who owns Sportsbet?
1: So they're owned by a company called Flutter, which owns uh, they bought Stars Group, which own BetEasy, they own uh, Betfair, SkyBet, and they're jewel in the crown at the moment. Uh, and it's hard to say that Sportsbet isn't a jewel in the crown because the, what they've done here is amazing, but they're jewel in the crown is a business called fangil in the US um, which is uh, which is dominating it draft Kings are the dominant players there at the at the moment
0: mm. all right so at what stage and what motivated you to, to get out and resuscitate TomWaterhouse.com and how did you get your name back
1: you look so um, William Hill uh, they that journey uh, of going well do we put our foot down and try and win this battle of scale? Uh, do we just run this as a, as a profit profit centre and cut back on costs or do we sell? That was a constant board discussion for for years, you know, as, as any company would be weighing up those, those options. And um, so uh, the decision was to sell um, William Hill and, and that sale process took place over a period of time. And a part of that sale process, uh, I was able to buy back TomWaterhouse.com and um, and William Hill, uh, I that journey with them as a company, I couldn't have asked for more. You know, like the learning experience to understand how big companies operate, to be able to work on their global executive team, be uh, meet all of these people on the board that are amazing business people and had tremendous careers and that learning experience, but then also to be able to buy back the business I sold to them. Uh, and to do that amicably, where we left on really great terms, all of us. It was a it was a great journey. And the condition was I was able to buy back TomWaterhouse.com on the condition that I didn't uh, go into betting for two years. And um, and yeah, I, I couldn't be. Uh, so often people have you hear these nightmare stories of people selling businesses, and uh, I couldn't. If I had to say the experience with William Hill, it was. Uh, Ten out of ten, or as close to ten out of ten as you could be. You know, it was. I felt it was a, a really, a really great experience, and, and, and enjoyed my time, time with the company.
0: Well, I guess while we're talking about uh, making investments to try and make some money and get wealthy, it's probably worthwhile me talking about the switzerreport.com.au website, where we try to find uh, some really good stock market tips from companies that really look like really good value. So if this sounds like you, if you want to get some inside information on some great companies, have a look at switzerreport.com.au. It's $397 for an annual subscription. We give you a report on Saturday, a massive report, which I drive along with some of my uh, important team members. And then we have a report on Monday and Thursday where we get some of the best stock pickers and analysts in the country, fund managers and people like that, to give you their best idea for the moment. So that's switzerreport.com.au. Now let's go back to part two of my interview with Tom Waterhouse. So explain to my audience what you're doing now with tomwaterhouse.com.
1: Yeah, so look, um, tomwaterhouse.com, in thinking about where to go uh, if I couldn't use it as a betting company for two years, I thought, well, what advantages. Have I got? And what's the need in the market? Most people at bet, they do it for entertainment. You know, it's it's uh, if you go, it's actually a very low cost form of entertainment. Um, believe it or not, if you go to the movies, it might cost you forty bucks to go to the movies with you and your, a partner. If you go to the pub, it might cost you thirty bucks or fifty bucks. If you go to dinner, it might cost you 80 dollars. $80. The average Australian punter loses four hundred dollars a year, so they're losing on average eight dollars a weekend or eight dollars a week. And they get a lot of bang for their buck watching racing and sport. Um, but the problem or the the thing that is, is that most people that bet lose. You know, it's, it's $8 of entertainment and $400 a year of loss. And it, because it's not like a casino betting on sport and racing, the, the house edge isn't fixed. The the bookies just come up with what they believe is the market. And But most people have got less information than the bookie and they're just making a an entertainment bet to watch the event and the bookies margin ensures that they don't, they don't win, but there's a small group of people that analyze whether it's sports teams or sporting games or racing and analyze it in such detail that they're able to find where the bookies have made mistakes. And my dad has um, been a professional punter for nearly yeah, 40 years and uh, he's never had a losing quarter. And And I was lucky to grow up in, speaking to my dad and my grandfather all the time and listening to the lessons of how they win betting. And I thought, well, the biggest portion of the market is people that lose at betting and there's no school for teaching people how to win on the punt. And so that was really the beginnings of TomWaterhouse.com uh, tipping service. And it was just a subscription service of, of basically um, us giving selections of where we think the bookies have made a mistake, reasoning of why they've made the mistake how much or how confident we are, so giving them the staking, how much to have on the selection, and then telling them what price to take. Um, and I thought, well, if I can get, uh, I don't know, 100 customers, it'll pay for the servers for two years until um, until I can start being a bookie again. And I remember there was an article the first day we launched, going basically saying, "Oh, that's ridiculous what Tom's trying to do." And we got. Uh, I don't know if it was maybe a thousand customers on the first day off that article, you know, and, and it's turned out to be very popular. And and we thought, well, the hardest thing for people to win and the biggest complaint we got was they said, Tom, you might tell us to do all of this stuff, but we can never get the price. And we loved a business uh, and use a business called dynamic odds, which is uh, a company called bet makers owns it. It was it, it it was started by some really savvy technical guys that had great experience in racing. And we thought we love this business. How do we incorporate that technology into our app? And so we we partnered with, with them and uh, built the Tom Waterhouse Odds Comparison app, which is basically allows people in the same app, that they get the tips to compare uh, a whole variety of bookies and sign up with one username and password and bet seamlessly in two clicks in the app. And so it's like the Travago or the booking.com or or the Tinder of betting. And um, it's proved really popular also with our punters. And and basically, we're just trying to um, make them better bettors. You know, not every punter is going to be a winning better, but if they have the discipline to stick to what we're telling them and and follow uh, of always getting the top price, they're going to do a much better job than they did before. And if they're actually really disciplined about it, hopefully um, beat the booking and and get a lot more value for their entertainment dollar than they did. Uh, prior
0: so what you're saying and I, I don't know really what you're talking about but this is my best guess but correct me if I'm wrong so by having your app uh, and reading your um, your tip based on bookmakers getting it wrong yep. and let, let's say the horse is XYZ uh, I can go and find out all the different prices that XYZ is is being offered that by say six or seven bookies. Correct. And then I then can seamlessly, rather than being a signed up to any of those one those six, seven bookies, I can place the bet.
1: Correct. Inside the app. Inside so the app. you get the, the So it's the, like being the on
0: the race course without being on the race course. Where a race yeah, course you, you, I've got lots of bookies you, that I could go to. I go up and put my money on and they take it. Just why you're it still on that.
1: It's the modern day bookies ring inside mm. the app. Yeah. And um and that's uh, the biggest advantage a punter has got over a bookie is a punter doesn't have to bet every race. He doesn't have to bet every day. He doesn't have to bet every week. He can be ultra selective. And the thing the bookie's got against them is the bookie has to price up thousands of events every day. And on most of the events, he's got enough margin in his favor that he's going to beat the punter. But if you're very disciplined and act like a sniper, you can find where the bookie's made a mistake. And our, our whole business is based on finding where the bookies made a mistake, and then providing a comparison service or a, a, a an aggregator service where you can easily place a bet at the top price rather than just going to your bookie. That may be the best price, but they also may be the worst price on that particular runner. Because every time you take a bad price, you're putting the edge back in the bookie's favour. And how
0: long has this been? How long this been going for? This this particular aspect of this service
1: oh, no, we only just launched this uh, a bit over six months ago, the Odds Aggregator business. So yeah. it's, um, it's uh, to, yeah, it, like and everyone would think nothing about um, uh, comparing which hotel they're going to book it mm. at a cheaper price or an air flight for a cheaper price. And the one thing where price you'd think would be at front of mind is embedding, mm. and, but it's hard. You know, you've got to fund multiple accounts. You've got to go from one app to the next app. You've got to download apps. It's not like the old days with the bookies where you have all the bookies lined up next to each other and that was what we we're trying to create is where it's just easy and seamless to place a, a bet with any of the bookies.
0: Yeah. Do do you think people understand the the term odds aggregator because I didn't understand it in your house? No, I, I, am, I think
1: th- I think that's uh, and that's why we often use like it's the Travago of betting or the booking.com that's of betting or the, t- yep. or the or the Tinder of betting um is because basically it's just a comparison site. And, um yeah it's hard to grasp but it's hopefully and and it, once you're in the app it's it's very easy to yep. see what we're trying to trying to do and and um yeah basically we're just trying to focus on a a narrow area being the wagering sector mm-hmm. and try and find areas that um, really are tailored to the mass market you know and what can improve them as betters and and we think if we keep doing that, and keep coming up with new things, will will do well.
0: Yeah, well, it's you searching for a new competitive advantage, and it seems to me like I I can remember, you might not remember, but I remember when InfoChoice came, came on the first site. It was the first interest rate comparison website in Australia, and now there's iSelect and there's Finder yeah. and Lendy and all those ones. But when InfoChoice came, I thought, how good is this? And before that, going back in the 1992, Mortgage Choice was the first to come out with a a laptop and laptops were quite new in 1992, with 13 potential lenders with all their interest rates there and a mortgage broker working for Mortgage Choice could go out and show a customer, here are the 13 home loan interest rates out there and that's the best one, why don't we go for that? They could do that and this is what you're doing basically with these bookies, but are the bookies playing ball with you? Are they happy? They get business, but you're also taking business from them.
1: Look, no, I I think um, the initial... um, Conversations where bookies were like, "Oh, I don't know if we want to, um, if we want to be in that app." You know, we don't want to be comparing our mm. price against other bookies. But I think what, the big advantage we had is we had such a large database with our tipping business, and we have high brand awareness in the Australian market uh, in terms of betting, and very low cost for acquisition. Um, so, for a bookie, it's it's a very interesting proposition because they get a large amount of new customers daily and they uh, at, at a very low cost. And I think that's been interesting for them um, and very receptive, you know, that now they've gone from, oh, I'm not sure about it to Tom, that's amazing. How do we keep doing what you're doing, keep getting us new customers. And, and for me, uh, if you're serious about betting, you have to, I think you have to have accounts with all the bookies, you know, yeah. it'd be, it'd be, it's it's silly not to because you've always got to get the top price and um and it yeah it's been this business wouldn't work if it wasn't a win-win for the punter and the bookie you know and um and it seems to six months in i think the bookies seem to be just as happy as what the punters are and i I hope that continues well tom
0: let me take you back to your unsw commerce days and and as someone who lectured economics at University of South Wales, I know you you had to do at least macro, micro and macro one, and, and in uh, micro one you learn about monopolies and monopolistic competition, which a lot of students didn't understand because they were thought the adjective for monopoly is monopolistic, but in actual fact, yeah. a monopoly is like when you first start off and there's no rivals, but your whole story. In many ways, has has been that you can't keep the rivals out, and that's what monopolistic competition is. That other people can come. There's no barriers to entry. They get in there and start eating eating your lunch. Is it is it going to be easy for rivals to come in and, and copy you and do what you're doing?
1: No, I think on the tipping business, you know, very um, uh, lucky. I've been lucky in that my dad is is one of the large largest syndicates in the world betting, you know, and and that access to those large syndicates and the way they do the form and and able to win on the form. I can only think of uh, a dozen people that consistently bet regularly and win betting. You know, it's very hard. People who do it as an entertainment um, thing. It's not to say that you can't have one bet a year on Nadal in the tennis or on... Uh, the roosters to win the premiership. And if you only have one bet a year that you can win at, but if you're regularly betting day in, day out, it's extremely hard with the bookie's edge against you to win. And so to have access to be able to provide winning tips, and now we've been going for well nearly three years and and it's all publicly available. You can see every bet that we've um, we've tipped. To be able to consistently win, uh, like our best bet on a Saturday, which we give away for free, I think is winning it. 7 or 8% profit on turnover at starting price. So after the whole database is backed it, you still win if you backed every one of those tips at starting price. So to be able to have access and be able to give our database winning tips, I think it's a big edge against anyone else to enter the market. And I think the, the relationship we have built with, um, with uh, dynamic odds, bet makers, and the bookies is also um, a big competitive advantage because as you said, the bookies, aren't inclined to go onto an odds comparison site, but they may be more inclined when you've got a large database like we have and the brand awareness that we have. So we think of those advantages as our knowledge and expertise in form analysis and our brand awareness and our existing scale as a a large database as competitive advantages or or our moat uh, uh, against competitors coming in. But it's not to say... I've thought that about every business I've been in that I've had a big advantage and, and stuff that you don't expect comes up. So, uh, uh, and that's why we keep lean and uh, I'm hopefully going to be in this business and business for, for a long time to come hopefully. And, and I don't think this is the last businesses I'm going to be in. I'm going to keep driving, pushing hard and driving and trying to come up with new things and do things and test things and, yeah, uh, I'm not going to stop.
0: Well, on the subject of new things, a couple of years ago, you came to me and you said, "I've got this great idea to uh, basically, you know, back a cryptocurrency fund." And yeah. uh, so, what happened with that idea? Because certainly, since no, then, the, the 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 value of Bitcoin has gone through the roof. But what's happened to that idea, Tom? Yeah, look, we were.
1: So, we part of the journey with William Hill is that we, uh, they bought the businesses, they realized we need to maintain profit, need to take some cost out of the business so I spent time going to China, India, Taiwan, the Philippines, all around the region trying to find where we could um, find uh, lower cost uh, operations. And I was blown away, this would have been 2014, 2015, I was blown away in uh, Taiwan, in a place called Taichung, there I came across this business, and it was turning over 100 billion dollars a year. Um, William Hill was a tenth of the size and was a FTSE 100 company, and it was turning over 100 billion dollars a year. And it only dealt, um, it it only it only dealt in cryptocurrency. So people were were betting um, using well, I don't know whether it was Bitcoin or Monero or Litecoin, and I was like, I can't believe that there is this betting going on at such volume and so that really started the journey of trying to understand this space and and uh we partnered with people and started up this company business called lister reserve and it's been had a a bitcoin fund obviously it's gone really well over the last few years it's i think it's 500 or 600 return but the 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 fund that's actually gone the best is the the managed fund um and uh it's run by some really smart guys and um yeah, really, it wouldn't. I wouldn't have got involved in the space years ago when we spoke if if I hadn't seen the growth in uh, in the gambling industry. And, and and I always think the gambling industry is quite uh, at the forefront of what's happening in technology because uh, what well, has been for the last sort of 20, 30 years. So yeah, really interesting. And and that sort of started the venture into looking at the fund space, whether it's with. Uh, uh, Listed reserve, or with our, our gambling fund, we've got a small wholesale fund uh, that focuses on beta business business-to-business um, uh, companies that are providing services to the gambling sector, and and that sort of started that that um, sort of venture into that sort of uh, fund space, which has been which has been really good and. And I learn a lot on that as well.
0: So you're always thinking outside the square, and it's, it's certainly giving you some um, wonderful opportunities, Tom. You know, I, I I wouldn't be able to get out of this interview without you know, making the the point that. You know, you happily came off the bench to replace your mum who was going to come on. I was always going to interview you about the business for obvious reasons. I'm interested in your business. But, you know, the championships are on at Ramwick. Um, but, of course, so are the English auction sales. And I guess your mum is out there encouraging some of her clients to buy horses that she will ultimately train. Um, and so she's unavailable. And so you, you happily came off the bench to, um, to do this interview. And I asked you to pester your mum for a good tip for Saturday. Did we were, were you successful in getting one?
1: Look, I, I haven't. I haven't. She's been just flat chat with um with the sales, and I, I haven't done the form for for the weekend yet. But I I thought she's got such a great record in um in the Doncaster, and and that horse won so well last week that Yow Dash. I think it's about nine dollars. It's got to be competitive in the race, but uh, it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard to give you a great guide so early on in the week. You know, you, for us, we, our members win just as much finding a winner uh, at Neuchuka on a Tuesday that they do um, at Randwick on a Saturday. So we've been focused on the Wednesday races um, uh, today. But, uh, yeah, Dash, it's, it's got ability. and um, But I'm saying that from not an educated uh, position. I haven't done the form for the race properly yet. On that
0: point, you know, over the years, you know, your mum is a is an optimist. You know, she she's not a pessimist whatsoever, and so, and of course, you believe in her because her track record has been absolutely brilliant. But you must have actually taken tips from your mum which haven't saluted the judge. While a player have, what have you ever come back to say oh, mum? That was hopeless. That was that was a bad tip. No, I, I learned very
1: early on is that. Uh, Mum and and other trainers um, are very, very good at getting their horses for peak fitness during um, their grand final, you know, and and getting them to like she's – I think Gabe or mum has been – she's won more group ones than any living trainer. So she's just done such an amazing job. She's taken on what her her dad, TJ, taught her and – like a career is amazing, best, unbelievable trainer, but it's very hard for trainers to assess the other horse in the field. And what goes into uh, a form database that I've seen through my dad is that deep analysis of every runner and all the different factors, the hundreds of factors that go into coming up with what he believes is the true odds of each horse in the race. And it's just not uh, available or easy for a trainer They're focused on conditioning their athlete, their horse. And so I learned very early on, it's very hard to get a trainer's tip or at least get my mum's tip on any runner because that assessment of the field and the other factors that come in and whether it's the wind conditions, the track conditions, the barriers, the change in gear changes of the other horses, where they're going to settle in the run, all of these different factors, the jockey's weight, the um, Fast just, lanes, a, a, slow
0: lanes. Where did that come yeah, from? <laughs> yeah,
1: there's just so many factors that a trainer is not thinking about, and so uh, I have. There isn't anyone that I have more respect for than 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 my mum and the way she can train horses, and also now Adrian, what she's been able to pass on to Adrian. He's a superstar, but in terms of I learned early that getting tips from my dad. Was where money was to be made, and
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. So, fr- from that point of view, has your dad embraced computer technology to get to, oh. to cope with the variables? Because Ray Dalio, who I know you know, the American uh, fund manager, many years ago, he always backed his own judgment, and he always. Took in multiple variables, but he's now saying, "I could, I could never process the amount of variables a computer can can take." And there's a consequence. I think my investing is better. Has Robbie embraced the computer age?
1: Well, I'd say he's more. I'd say he's more technical than me, um, and I use computer for for everything. He he embraced. So I think he was born a similar generation to like that Bill Gates, Steve Jobs mm. sort of time timing and and. He was so into computers, uh, like his first computer system was 1980. Um, uh, he was one of the first people to have like a mobile phone in the car when I was a little kid growing up. And and he's been developing his computer system for 40 years now. So um, he was one of the first computer syndicates and um, uh, embraced, he, he I think he's well ahead of the curve in terms of what computers could do, and and really it changed because there was huge value before, and this was way before my day at the races, is that people that had photographic memory at the races had a huge advantage because they could watch a race and then three weeks later would see that that horse was in again and could remember exactly where it was in the run, how what part of the track it was in, whether it got balked, what the jockey was doing, and you saw that some of the best um, punters actually were genius uh, geniuses with photographic memory and mm-hmm. re- remember stuff and and my dad r- realized early that uh, computer system and putting in that data of factors of what you see in a race uh, and you enabled you to have far more betting opportunities and bet uh, on far more events because you could just compute a lot more factors and retain a lot more information and, and that really ended those people over a period of time that had that photographic memory and were betting off their opinion really price them out of the market
0: Um. Okay, one last one Tom, I'm thinking because you've made the point that your dad's a better tipper than your mum okay Um, Okay. but your customers may well want a tip in every race at Randwick or Melbourne in Caulfield or whatever it might be on Saturday do you actually provide a tip for every race or sometimes you say this race Mm. is too hard, too many horses who can win this race
1: so we have inside the app where you can um, get a tip for every race in Australia, uh, in, in, in Australia. So you can get a tip for every race, but we advise not to take that tip because all we're providing there is the selection that works out as the top selection in the database. Mm. So it, it, we might have a, a $3 chance and it's the top rating horse in in the race but the book you might be betting are $1.80. So you're taking way unders. So we have it because we realize people want to see our top selection, but we advise in all our tipping packages be very selective, only stick to what we what we give in the subscription packages, in the tipping packages, because if you bet in every race, uh, you're going to find well, it's, it's almost impossible unless you're one of the top syndicates in the world to win, um, where if you have one better week, i always think about this with people with stocks even is if you say to person once i want once every three years you to call me up and tell me what you think is your best pick i always think well that's a to be very respected but i don't want to speak to anyone that gives me 20 selections of what they think of value every day mm-hmm. and if you stick the more disciplined you are and you can ride wins and losses in the same way and be very disciplined and get Make sure when you're having your one bet, you're getting the top price. You're sticking very uh, disciplined in how much you have on it. Over a 10-year period, the bookies are going to find you very hard to beat. Um, but having lots and lots of bets all the time is, uh, yeah, is, a, is
0: a road to the poorhouse. Tom Waterhouse, thanks for joining us on Learning from Legends. Thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. And that was Tom Waterhouse. I wanted to get you a tip, but as Tom pointed out, tips this early in the week are risky, and also tips from trainers, not all that good. That, I guess, is a very valuable lesson. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week.